So really every aspect of healing has something to do with kind of reconnecting. So when your conscious attention is on it, it's you're just sort of consciously connecting to that joint. And I think whenever someone has any sort of issue, however you want to define it, whether it's an, an emotional or some physical issue, it's going to manifest somewhere in your body. back everyone with another episode of the Grasshopper podcast. Welcome. Today, interview with Russ Hornstein, chiropractor and functional neurologist and someone who's been putting smiles on people's faces for quite a few years. (laughs) I remember walking out of your office quite a few times like, oh, God. <laughs> it does feel good actually. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. Amazing. So it's really, really great to have you, Russ, because um, obviously I've, I've known you for quite a few years and also experienced um, being your patient as well, which has yeah. been really nice. And also, we always end up having really inspiring chats as you're yeah. <laughs> sort of doing your work. Yeah. Getting a little view into obviously the knowledge that you have and. Uh, systems that you use to treat your patients which always leave me very inspired and intrigued right so i thought we'd just start like we often do in this podcast from the beginning um obviously we're going to talk a lot about health and wellness and your own journey and the brain but i'm always curious as to how people take these choices quite early in life that take them around these quite definitive roads right so I don't know if you have any... Sure, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for the very kind introduction. That was lovely. <laughs> I certainly do my best. Um, yeah, so I started out, funny enough, I started as an art student. So um, uh, sculpture was something that I really loved when I was a kid, and I was good at it. And uh, I thought, I'd like to do this. Um, but at the same time, my, my family are very medical. There's lots of doctors and you know, people in the medical industry in my family, so I was always sort of being pushed that way, even though I also was interested in it. Um, but I thought, no, I'll, I'll do art instead. And when I went to university, I, uh, I had to take anatomy and physiology as part of my art curriculum. And obviously anatomy is the structure of the body, but physiology is a function of the body. And they, the two were strung together in one course. And I, I had to take the anatomy for the, for the art degree, but the physiology I found really fascinating. And so I started taking more physiology courses, medical physiology courses, and, and higher level science courses, just because I was interested in it. And my counselor said, why are you taking all these medical classes? <laughs> and I said, I really like it. And he said, well, you know, you're not far off from getting your, uh, your uh, pre-med degree, you know? And uh, so I thought, yeah, I think I'll do that. And my, my, funny enough, my grandfather was a medical doctor, and, and I always felt that he was kind of pushing me to be a medical doctor as well. So I was quite excited when I was young to tell him, you know, I was partway through university and I said, uh, I was really excited to say, I'm going to do it, I'm going to be a doctor. And uh, so I told him and he said, he said, no, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, really? (laughs) My whole life since my first memories, he'd been (laughs) putting a stethoscope on me, (laughs) teaching me how to do reflexes. (laughs) And 
So he said, no. He said, look into chiropractic. And I actually had a cousin who was a chiropractor as well. And I had a good experience myself. You know, I had some injuries when I was young. And the first time I went to the chiropractor, I was carried to the chiropractor. You know, my dad carried me in because I couldn't walk. And, um, uh, and, you know, I walked out of there and I thought that was amazing, you know. <laughs> and so I started seriously considering it. And I met some chiropractors and asked them, you know, about what their, what their work life was like and about what they're training in the different schools. And I thought, it hey, sounds quite interesting. So I, um, I had uh, applied and enrolled in a chiropractic school and uh, enjoyed it for the better part of uh, the first year. But by the end of the year, I started to become more frustrated with the schooling. Now in America, to be a chiropractor, um, you're a doctor as well. So we're all primary care practitioners, which means you're learning all of the important things that any doctor should know in order to be able to diagnose any condition. So for instance, primary care means <clears throat> you could diagnose someone with, uh, you know, with uh, hypertension or diabetes or you know, anything. And uh, so we have to study all of those things, which was great. Uh, so we had you know, pathology and microbiology and all these sort of boring things. Um, but then we also had what, what felt quite separate um, were all the chiropractic things. Now, granted, I mean, I'm sort of making a bit of fun. It wasn't all boring, but the problem was is that there wasn't any connection between all of what we were learning about diagnostics and pathology and microbiology and what we were actually doing. So I was getting really frustrated thinking, this doesn't make sense. Okay, we're doctors, but then we're just ignoring what we know as doctors and just adjusting people's joints, you know, manipulating joints. And, you know, obviously that's changing, having some effect on the body, but it didn't seem like there was any correlation that was drawing all that together, you know, and, and, I, and I asked people that were ahead of me, because I was in my third of ten terms in chiropractic, you know, do we ever figure this out? <laughs> and the answer was no. This is quite a common problem, I think, within the medical fields, obviously, it is. people specialize, but yeah. at the end of the day, the body is yeah, totally well, connected. Yeah, it's true, it's true, it's, it's actually, it's exactly the same issue, because, well, in, in a way, because... One thing that you learn when you become a doctor is, is how to, you get a broad information, okay? So you have a broad knowledge of things, but then to go into depth in any particular uh, subject, uh, you know, you're studying one thing in exclusion of everything else. And, um, <clears throat> and actually, I did go into a specialization, which was the neurology. And the reason I liked the neurology so much was because of the depth of that actually created cross links between all kinds of other things. So once I started understanding more about neurology, I started understanding how, you know, uh, different aspects of biochemistry were affecting your, you know, micro, in dealing with uh, diseases and microbiology and pathologies and all these things that just seemed so, just, just, just disparate information that just seemed completely, you know, unrelated, they didn't seem to tie together. Once I was understanding the neurology and the control mechanisms in your brain, of how all this ties together, it actually started to become a lot of fun. So um, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, on campus, we had a neurology club that was started by two friends of mine. And then I took over that club and taught that for the rest of my time there. It was about another two and a half years. So um, that was a really good opportunity to stand up and say what I knew. And, um, and you know, when you actually teach something, you really learn a lot better. <laughs> so I came out of school with this neurology, and I've been studying it since then. I've been studying neurology for 23 years. My 
you know, when you're a doctor, your studies never really finish. Yeah. You just continue. I just came back two days ago from uh, <laughs> studying in Holland, you know. So, um, yeah, neurology is a really, really interesting field, and it, and it ties together with chiropractic very, very well. So, in a sense, you found that framework which gave you this holistic, integrated view that you were, in a sense, searching for. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, certainly, um, while I was in school, it made a very big difference because it's sort of like when you're getting answers to something, but you don't have the question yet, uh, it's hard to actually absorb that. Mm-hmm. Like if I gave you a series of numbers or uh, the answer to, you know, if I told you about well, this 36 ATP in this part of the Krebs cycle, um, that wouldn't mean anything to you. But if you understood that whole process before, um, or you had a question about it, or you really wanted to know this for some reason, then that information sticks a lot better. So, um, you know, the neurology kind of gave me a framework to hang all this other information on. So uh, it kind of produced uh, a framework that I could hang those answers on. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So, uh, so yeah, in a, it's, um, we have two of your colleagues here as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> We're recording this podcast uh, at Sanya. And um, I think it's very interesting that you use this framework, but at the same time, people in Malta really have no idea. And even myself, who have been around, all three of you who, mm-hmm. who practice functional neurology, I have to have it explained to me quite a few times. Well, what's, what's interesting is that you're, if you think about the nervous system very simply, uh, the nervous system really does three things for you. It allows you to perceive the world, it allows you to understand and interpret that in some way and allows you to express yourself. Okay? So we could call those sensory, integrative and motor functions. Okay? So what we do as neurologists is we use um, those, we, we have like basically a window into your nervous system, how your nervous system is functioning by examining how perceptive you are, you know, how you sense things. You know, we have a little pinwheel and we rub it on your face. Can you feel this? Yes or no. That means something to us. Okay? We check your reflexes, so we're creating a sensory impulse and seeing how your body interprets that information at kind of a low level in your nervous system and then responds to it. So even though you just see us tapping on a tendon and your knee bounces, um, it's, you, know, you giggle about it, but it actually tells us something very significant. So everything that we're doing, even just me looking at you, I can see you know, how you're holding yourself, if your head's t- tilted mm-hmm. to the side, you know, sometimes people have uh, deviations in their eye alignment. All these things mean something to us. So you don't realize it, but, you know, myself and my colleagues are <laughs> analyzing everyone that we meet. <laughs> and you can figure out what's going on with someone before, before you really even um, open your mouth. Yeah, I think that's one of the very impressive things of your practices. You diagnose people by looking at how their eyes are working. Yeah, this is actually a really, really interesting thing right now because... Uh, you know, like I said, I've been doing this for 23 years. And we knew a lot about this then. Um, but one of the most fascinating things that's coming out in neurology right now that, you know, people are really putting, putting more and more into use is, is looking at the older pathways in the nervous system. Because, um, let me just explain for a second. Your nervous system is kind, of, is kind of built in layers, almost like the rings of a tree. So the, the rings in the center, I'm not sure if it's true with trees or not, I don't know if it's the, the old ones are at the outside or the inside, but basically in your nervous system, the old ones are on the inside, okay? So that'd be the very sort of core of the tree, the oldest pathways. So that involves things like um, 
vision and uh, actually not even just vision, but being able to move your eyes, uh, being able to sense where you are in space from your, what's called the vestibular system, which is, are these uh, canals, what we call canals, are like little tubes inside your, your ear, okay, it's part of your inner ear, and you have three on each side, and they're filled with fluid, and when you move your head, the fluid moves in relation to your head. The easiest way of thinking about it is just to say, if you have a glass with an ice cube in it, and you turn the glass, the ice cube will appear to stay in the same place. So there's sort of like a, a neutral momentum, if you will, of that water. And if the glass is your head, um, your, your body can sense that. Mm-hmm. So it has this, I don't need to go into the details of it, but it's like little hairs inside there that can sense the, the head movement in relation to the fluid movement. And... Um, so your body, uh, so basically this vestibular system is feeding into this old, old part of the brain, and also um, we call the proprioceptive system, particularly of your spine, okay? Um, and, and then also, lastly, the, well not lastly, there's lots of things, but just to keep it simple, is the autonomic system that controls digestion and things like heart rate, blood pressure, all these things. So your autonomic system are all the things that your body controls without you having to think about it, Okay. So all of these things are very old parts of the nervous system, and it has a tremendous relevance in everyone's life, because it's the oldest systems that are always referenced with newer systems. So let me go back, we'll cycle it back around. I'm going to say this several times, because it's kind of a hard concept to get. If you look at something that has a very simple nervous system, like a fish, a fish has eyes, a fish has a vestibular system, a fish has... um, the ability to move its eyes, uh, and also has a, you know it has digestion and it has you know even sexual re- reproductive functions. All these things are very very old systems. It doesn't have arms and legs. Okay, it can't stand up in gravity. Okay, it's relatively primitive. But these same systems that a fish have, we have as well. But all of the newer functions, like the control of your arms and your legs, being able to stand upright in gravity, being able to think big thoughts. I mean, we think bigger thoughts than fish do, I presume. <laughs> Most people do, at least. Well, it's debatable. <laughs> Depends when you're traveling. Maybe <laughs> 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you see some fish brains out there. But anyhow, jokes aside, the, the, the newer parts of the nervous system uh, always reference the older parts. So if you find a problem in the older part of the nervous system, you're probably going to find a problem in the newer parts of the nervous system. Okay? And obviously to create change in the newer parts, you need to be really working with those deeper Exactly. Well, systems. you don't have to, but when you do, it's like a cascading mechanism. Mm-hmm. So when you fix something there, um, then you're fixing all kinds of other problems. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of strange for people to see what's happening at this level of neurology from the outside, because, you know, we say, you know... Everyone had the doctor say, okay, look at my thumb, and you sort of move your thumb from side to side, we call the cardinal signs, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so the doctor's watching your eyes move from side to side. That tells us a tremendous amount of information, okay? Just looking at someone's eyes tells us a tremendous amount of information because we're able to evaluate these deep, deep parts of the brain. When we see a problem there, uh, we can kind of dig deeper and kind of figure out exactly where that problem is in the nervous system. And then when you address it, like I said, it just fixes all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But just to be clear, um, it doesn't mean that there's something that's broken or dead in the nervous system, because as functional neurologists, um, we're not looking at cell death. There's, a, there's two main types of problems that happen in the nervous system. 
what we call functional or physiological problems, which have to do with the electrical level and the potential of something to function, which means all of the all the wires are essentially there. It's like the power cable. Yeah, it's just like the voltage has gone down a bit. Okay, so we can detect where there's good voltage and where there's not good voltage, and we can figure out why that is. Okay, that's what our skill base is, and then there's another skill base in neurology, which are like neurosurgeons and what we deal with, and other types of. There's other fractions in that as well, but those are ablative lesions where there's something that's been that's been damaged. So you might have a tumor that's compressed, a, you know, a part of the nervous system that's damaged it, or you might have a lack of blood flow, like a stroke. You know, these sort of things create... Or an accident, a force. Yeah, an accident, you have some avulsion of a nerve, something's actually been broken. So these are different types of problems. And even degenerative things like MS, multiple sclerosis, is, it's a different sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Someone asked me yesterday about it, and I had to say, look, I'm sorry, but it's not within the scope of what I deal with. Mm-hmm. So what we need is a, is a nervous system that's intact. Mm-hmm. Okay? It doesn't necessarily have to be 100% healthy. We can, uh, we can evaluate how healthy it is. But um, what we're dealing with is something different. Okay? Mm-hmm. But I have to say, I mean, pretty much everyone that I, I meet on the street has some sort of a neurological deficit, if mm-hmm. you want to put it that way. Um, and, and what do you think causes that? Um, well, that's a re- actually a really, really good question. <laughs> um, Obviously a combination. <laughs> there's a combination, but it's a really, really interesting thought because um, some of the things are... Um, how much we're using our body. So uh, the more our body is physically moving, the healthier we'll be. We know that. We know that if we exercise, we'll be healthier. And the reason that is, is our body has uh, what we call receptors. This is actually a big question, so I'd like to address every aspect of it. It's a really good question. We have receptors in our body that sense movement, okay? So they don't just sense movement, like there's receptors in the joints and there's receptors in the muscles. So when, you're, when you move a joint, it's, it's stimulating what we call mechanoreceptors in the joints and stretch receptors in the muscles. And those things are like little power stations all around your body, okay? So it's literally turning physical movement into electrical energy, okay? So those electrical impulses, that electrical energy is having an effect in various parts of your nervous system. And that's literally like charging it up. So if you imagine your brain is kind of like a battery, it can't really function well unless you're charging that battery up. You can't just draw off it and sit still and expect everything to stay moving. Okay? So certain parts of the nervous system are going to light up other parts of your brain. Okay? So what's important is that we understand, as doctors, we understand what parts of your body are going to light up what parts of your brain. And that's really good for us because if we see some part of your brain that isn't as active, then we can do certain things to kind of create more stimulation to that part of your brain. So we can be, actually be quite specific about things. But what's interesting from, um, from a, a patient's perspective is that there's more receptors in your joints of your neck than there is in any other part of your nervous system, particularly the top of your neck. So we have lots of people coming in with, you know, low back problems, particularly, you know, neck problems like whiplash and things like this. And people sometimes change after they have an injury, you know. We have whiplash people, they come in, they're like, oh, I had a, you know, smash in my car. And then they're a little bit funny afterwards, you know, or maybe even a little while longer down the road. They're not working so well. Because what can happen is when you have this whiplash, you can create an injury in the joint that actually meets 
manifests in, in less stimulation from those joints. So it's literally like shutting off power stations that charge up your brain. So you have this whiplash, it shuts off those power stations, and then parts of your brain will suffer. You know? No so, matter how much exercise and movement. Yeah, no matter how much. I mean, yes, to some extent, you can, you can try to compensate And you know, there's lots of things we could have a long conversation about what those things could be, and, and that's all very beneficial. But in terms of actually creating the greatest probability of getting through that, you really have to address those those power stations. Okay, so um, you know, knowing how to do that is really really important. But also knowing what the problem is, you know, the details of that problem uh, is also very very important. Yeah. So to go back to what we were talking about before about these old pathways. The parts of your brain, uh, one of the oldest parts is around this vestibular, we call vestibular nuclei. It's a very, very deep part in your brainstem. Okay? And the vestibular nuclei, what they do is they put together information from three different input centers. Okay? One is your vision. Okay? The next is your semicircular canals which are these, this part of your vestibular system that, set, that, that uh, senses this movement in your head, like I was explaining with the cup and the, and the ice cube. Uh, and the third is from the proprioceptors, the joints in your, in your body, and particularly the ones in your neck. So what your body does is it, is it gets, a, it gets a, 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 an integrated concept of where your body is in space according to the information from these three receptors. So what will happen sometimes is if is if one of those uh, receptors isn't, one of those areas isn't working very well. So say for instance, the previous example, someone has a whiplash and they have less uh, stimulation from their joint mechanoreceptors because the joints are just not moving, they're stuck because they've been injured. Um, what's going to happen is your body's going to have to rely more on your vision. You're still getting the same amount of vestibular, but your body's going to try to focus more on your vision. And these are people that at night You know, when they can't see very well, if their vestibular system is a little out of balance as well, they're falling over at night trying to go to the toilet, you know, or they just feel very disoriented. Okay, I had a I had a patient not that long ago who had, um, um, whenever the lights would go out, um, they would uh, feel very nauseous as well, and the reason is because that autonomic center is very, Weak. very very integrated with this vestibular center mm -hmm. as well. So it's like sometimes people get dizzy on a ride, and what do they do? They vomit, yeah. okay? Because these two things sit next to each other. So if your vestibular system, how all this information is being integrated in your brain is out of balance, perhaps because you had a whiplash, mm -hmm. or perhaps because of something else, and we can go and have long discussions about that. But say just in this example, if someone's had a whiplash, and it's thrown off the balance of their vestibular system, then, the, then it's like one side of the brain is saying you're not moving, and the other side saying, uh, I, don't, I don't know, or you're moving to the left, you know? If the information isn't, uh, isn't synchronized well, then you're going to have a sense that you're moving, and that's going to get people dizziness. Yeah. And if it's bad enough, they'll get nauseous as well, or they'll even vomit. Mm -hmm. So this vestibular function is super, super important. It's a really, really hot topic, mm -hmm. because we're finding that people are getting fixed from all kinds of things, you know, wild, seeming unrelated things, Uh, just by fixing the vestibular oh. system. It's interesting as well because you make me think. Obviously, I'm a yoga teacher. Yeah. <laughs> And two of the foundations of yoga. <clears throat> one is the joint um, yeah. releasing poses, Pawamuktasana. It's called. So exactly. 
actually nowadays most teachers don't do this but what you should do before your practice is warm up every single joint yeah exactly we do quite you know a while of moving every single joint so in a, in a sense it's like powering up these it's true fire station power stations it's, it's, it's true it's true and, and then, the other one is the yoga for the eyes ah right yes exactly so there's a, very, very a whole sequence of poses where you're actually training your eyes and very good it's probably very therapeutic for working out these I, I, I would be willing to say, you see my hair standing on end when you say that, I'd be willing to say that that's probably one of the very best things you could possibly do for your body. Working these muscles in your eye is actually working this, this same center, this vestibular center. And, and by doing exercises with your eyes, it's, it's actually kind of feeding uh, that whole system, so that it's literally building that up from the inside. Yeah. So. Um, much the same as we would achieve by trying to fix someone's uh, neck if their neck is out of balance or there's a joint that's not working, doing eye exercises yeah. uh, actually, if you know, if you want to sort of argue the point, is more powerful yeah. than me even adjusting someone's neck. Yeah. Uh, so much so that a lot of my colleagues, you know, Matt and Kristen are out here as well. We'll, 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 we'll test the same. Sometimes what we'll do is we'll just fix someone's eyes, get their eyes working better, and we'll see where the joint problem goes. Okay? It's very, very yeah. common. And, uh, but this is exactly why. Yeah. So you, you and whoever's listening to this probably know much more than their doctors do about how your nervous system functions now. Okay? Just with a few simple explanations about mm. this vestibular system. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Eye movements are super essential, but also yoga. I've been doing yoga as long as I've been studying neurology as a reason. Because when you're moving your body and you're opening up the joints, uh, you're creating a massive amount of stimulation to these parts of these centers in your brain. Unfortunately, also nowadays, a lot of yoga is more on the physical workout. In fact, I think I'm one of the only teachers on the island that teaches the entire Pawan Muktasana series at the beginning of my classes, going through every single joint. Wow, very good. And I see even some of my students, you know, they feel like it's a little bit boring because it's very simple. Right. And I'm always saying that actually it's in the simple in the simplicity right. of these yoga poses yeah. that you can really get the most power exactly and it's it's also a challenge for the mind to really mm-hmm. focus on these very simple yeah exactly movements well, you're bringing up another very good point which is that <clears throat> a lot of times if we're trying to rehabilitate these parts of the brain uh, the approach that we'll have is by integrating different types of functions so for instance there's a difference between just moving and being conscious of that movement, kind of thinking about what that feels like, okay? As soon as you put consciousness on it, uh, it becomes more powerful because your mind is focused on it, okay? Sometimes we'll do like more than one motion at the same time. We'll have someone do an eye motion and then move their arm at the same time. Uh, so when you're moving the arm, you're stimulating the cerebellum and the cerebellum is stimulating this part of the midbrain. But then the eyes are working in the midbrain, so you're kind of working from two different angles and stimulating the same part of the brain. Mm-hmm. And yoga is just like a big, a big uh, sort of uh, fireworks in your brain <laughs> when you're using your whole body mm-hmm. and you're doing it very consciously. Because one of the things you'll be doing is working kind of um, uh, that we call kinetic chains. You know, so you might be doing like a big stretch, like say for instance a lunge or something. A lunge is actually stretching a whole muscle group on one whole side of the body at the same time. So that's very, very beneficial because like, it's like every, everywhere in the brain where that sensation of that joint is. So in other words, it's like maps in your brain, if you yeah. will, of each part of each joint. 
So if you're working lots of joints at the same time, you're lighting up a whole huge area of your brain, mm -hmm. and that's great for you. Mm -hmm. okay? really I find it really fascinating that you said sort of there's a big difference between rotating your wrists and then mm -hmm. also bringing the consciousness focus yeah. of your mind. Because I feel it as exactly. a teacher, obviously, and I'm always guiding my students to really bring their their feeling and their consciousness into that movement. Exactly. And I can see also my students, um, different students, and also different moods. Exactly. Sometimes you can concentrate easily, sometimes it's a little bit more difficult. Exactly. But when you are in that zone where you're very focused, you're really feeling every single movement. Right. The power that's generated is totally different. It is. It is very different. And this, it, I mean, it's actually, you could take the conversation quite deep here. Um, because it, it kind of goes down to the essence of what exactly happens when someone heals. Okay, so um, <clears throat> say for instance, if um, if we'll go back to the whiplash case, if someone has a, an accident or some trauma that that prohibits them from feeling something, then they can't connect. They can't be consciously aware of that joint if it isn't moving. So if by whatever means, I'm not saying chiropractic is the only way of doing this, but by whatever means, it, you can get that joint to move again and you can feel, then you can connect to that sense of what your body is telling you from that, that part of your body. <clears throat> so really, every aspect of healing has something to do with kind of reconnecting. So when your conscious attention is on it, it's you're just sort of consciously connecting to that joint. Mm -hmm. And I think whenever someone has any sort of issue, however you want to define it, whether it's an, an emotional or some physical issue, it's going to manifest somewhere in your body. <laughs> so being able to explore your body in a space where you can um, uh, be comfortable, a safe space, but one where you're giving that attention has much more power, you know, rather than just throwing some chemical at it, yeah. you know. Um, so anytime you're adding some level of consciousness to something, you're connecting to it, and any healing, true healing, has to have some element of connecting. You don't just throw a pill at it. It's not connecting to anything. Yeah. You're saying, I'm going to interrupt this process with a chemical, but true healing always has some level of connection. I want to ask you a radical question. Sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about the body and these really complex, beautiful systems. And for me, when I think about this, it's very difficult for me to just think that this was all a random sort of collision. Yeah. <laughs> There, there seems to be such a uh, intricate organizational pattern. Right. I don't know, maybe your thoughts on this. Well, there's a on them again. Well, you, you hit another key point for me. Um, let me kind of do this in two steps. The, the nervous system is designed to sense our world, okay? Um, and so, for instance... I was mentioning the, the vestibular system. It's a good example. You have three of these little canals. They're like little tubes with fluid in them. And they're actually oriented through the three axes, like X, Y, Z axes. You know, it's like horizontal and vertical and, 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 and rotational planes. So your body is designed to sense the physical environment. So you've actually created a structure. Our, our brain, our whole body has been designed to sense this dimension, okay, which is kind of a big thing. You think the brain is actually a, a reflection, not a reflection, but a, a system within a dimension designed to sense th that dimension, okay? 
So our physical structure, if you think about it, it's kind of a deep thing. Our physical structure is designed to sense these dimensions, okay? So has the universe and the dimensions of the universe had some effect on the structure of our, of our nervous system? Yes, absolutely. People say there's more dimensions than what we're considering beyond the sort of three dimensions, if you, or four if you consider time. But there's, yes, I think so. I think absolutely. Um, and that's one of my most sort of fascinating reads is what are these other dimensions? And I have some ideas, but also to refrain from sounding too wacky. But I will tell you one thing, um, is that if you look at the way the body moves, there's kind of a... Um, like a figure of eight or kind of infinity function. Like you watch someone's hips, the hips will kind of move through like a figure of eight motion. The shoulders move through a figure of eight motion. Pretty much any joint, and if you, when you look at it, if you sort of look at it over time, you can put a marker on any part of the body in the dark, light it up, and you'll see like a figure of eight motion. So our whole body is designed to move around all three of these axes at once. Mm -hmm. Okay? We call them coupled motions. Mm -hmm. Okay? So the motions of the body are coupled. And uh, I think there's a very, very good reason about that. And that, that's actually a, a, a very high-level <laughs> discussion. It's probably more than right here. But it's, it's fascinating to think that, um, yeah, your body has actually been designed to sense the universe and, and all of its dimensions, perhaps beyond the dimensions that we can... Uh, perhaps so, we'll get there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with the fish brain and we're... Yeah, so you're asking why, uh, you know, how, why are we built the way... We, we're built, and it's yes to perceive the, the the world, and our perceptions can be beyond these three dimensions because mm -hmm. we know that these three dimensions are built within the structure of the nervous system. So there's probably other aspects of how we're built in the nervous system that are reflections of what's of this sort of global mm -hmm. or, or a bigger sense of uh, of the universe. Yeah. So I'm very fascinated by the work of Ken Wilber. Yeah, he's great. Yes, I've been re I've been reading him for uh, 25 years. Yeah. <laughs> Very, very genius. He's amazing. Mind. He's amazing. Yeah. And uh, you know, he has this theory that evolution is a drive towards increasing complexity. Right. And it's true. as you said, you know, from the fish brain to where we are now, it's this increasing wholeness. Right. So we're becoming more and more complex. Right. So from the atom to the molecule to the organism and, and so on and so forth. And, right. and he says, you know, the meaning of life is hidden within this evolutionary drive. It's true. To yeah. Yeah. go into bigger and bigger holes right. and I think it's, it's really beautiful right. and it's kind of this um, connection between science and mysticism right. which um, is very beautiful so, yeah exactly well yeah if you you can actually look at uh, <clears throat> we call the we, we call them phylogenetic sort of stages in the nervous system so in other words you can kind of trace back I'm not really an evolutionist but you can see simpler systems and more complex systems. If you look at the most simple systems, they all have a vestibular system. Okay? Before they even have eyes, they have a vestibular system. Like a jellyfish can know which way is up. Okay? It even has some aspect of a vestibular system, which is amazing. Um, and then as nervous systems develop, you see these layers building on. And we can actually see that even by looking at humans. So studying the human brain is a real window into uh, what came first and what came next. Yeah. But when you're looking at the highest levels of the nervous system, all these neocortical areas, you think, well, what, are, what is the capacity of that? What can that do? And uh, really what we're doing as doctors and, and neurologists working with, with the nervous system is actually just providing the potential for those, 
for every aspect of your function to happen. Okay? But then you say, well, what could happen? Um, we can really trace things in the nervous system up to a point. And then there's a point when we say, you know, we're not talking about the nervous system anymore. And really, that gets to the kind of highest cortical levels where you're making decisions. You know, something happens in whatever it is we are as, as humans and as spirits that are sort of manifesting in this body. So our, we can make a decision, like I can make a decision to move my right hand. Where did that come from? That's not a reflexive um, function. This is a decision that I'm making in my brain, and it'll keep happening until I tell it to stop. Right? It's kind of cool. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think... Th this is another, I think, a big debate, you know, sort of some people say that consciousness is a product of the brain, but there's a lot of evidence that says that actually the brain is more of a receiver of consciousness. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, conduit, a, it's a conduit of than consciousness. Than a generator. Yeah, absolutely. If there's a problem in your nervous system, then the conduit isn't going to work very well, and you won't be very conscious. So you people look at people that aren't very conscious... Um, you'll probably find something in the nervous system. Like a classic example is when my, my teacher was saying years and years ago that he had a patient who had, had an epileptic fit and he fell and his face hit the frying pan and literally cooked his face. And uh, the guy like said, he said, Don't, doesn't it hurt? He had burns all over his face. And he said, no, no. And then he treated him and he went, ow, damn it, my face, it hurts. <laughs> because he switched his brain back on and suddenly he could feel the pain. Wow. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reality in that. If the nervous system isn't functioning, you're really missing out. Mm -hmm. You know, you're really missing out. Mm -hmm. So yeah, everything you can do to try to gain that potential of your nervous system is really going to have a, a, a huge effect on your ability to live, you know, the most high level of life that you possibly could. So when you see people that are, you know, sort of out on the street and down and out and not, you know, and really struggling, you know, they might have a, a, a neurological problem. I mean. Yeah. It, Everyone does, if I'm yeah. perfectly honest with you. Yeah. You sit someone in front of me and I'll find something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Actually, I wanted to go back to that because when I asked you sort of what are the causes of our neurological right. yeah, yeah, dysfunctions, right. you mentioned exercise, but I imagine there are another few so, causes. So go, go, go back to what we were saying about the joints and the whiplash. If a joint isn't moving, it's, we, we know you're not charging those, those, uh, <clears throat> those power stations and that's going to have an effect on your brain. But you don't necessarily have to have something stuck in your joint. You could just not be moving. You'd just be sitting at a computer all day and over time suddenly not feeling very well. Your digestion doesn't work very well anymore or you don't have any energy. You're not sleeping well. Okay? All kinds of things can happen if you don't move your body. So we know, everyone knows, mm -hmm. that if you exercise, you're going to feel better. Mm -hmm. And this is why. You charge up the power stations, your brain has more potential. However, if there's little um, imbalances in places that... You know, you're, if you're not specifically getting at it, it can be quite hard to kind of yeah. refine that balance. And uh, there are some really powerful things to, to do that, but unless you're doing it with, uh, you know, very clear vision, it's, it might take you years to find it. Yeah. So, um, so that's a difficult thing. But actually, to answer the inverse of that question, so what we were just saying was that, yes, you can increase your, the potential of your nervous system, but what other factors are there? People's, you know, people are aware that you know, we're living in an environment now where you know, clean water and quality foods are big issues. So if your nervous system is functioning well, you'll have more tolerance for those things. But if it isn't, you'll have less tolerance. Mm -hmm. So you could have some one, 
you got two people eat the same food, and one of them is going to have a huge reaction, their stomach's going to blow up because they're gluten intolerant, and the other person's going to get in there fine. So mm-hmm. why, why does that happen? Mm-hmm. So uh, you could blame the environment, but the environment is just a trigger mm-hmm. that for one person is enough that it throws them off balance so even more. We should be strong enough. More yes. resilient. If your nervous system is functioning well, you have more resilience and, and you'll be more capable of dealing with these sort of challenges and things. Now, it's not to say we shouldn't... sort of prolonged sort of... Um, exposure. Exposure, yes, to toxins. Yeah, it's just... Foods. It's really just a threshold. There's only so much your neurological system can take before it starts... Exactly. People have... Something. Everyone has some level of compromise in their nervous system. And I'm not an exclusion. You know, everyone has something going on. Everyone has a little area of weakness... But if we know what that area of weakness is and we can address it, then we have more strength and capacity to deal with these uh, environmental or external variables. So yes, if, if your system's off even a little bit over time, it might take 40 years before you start noticing something, or it might take four weeks. Mm-hmm. You know? So um, that just depends on where you are and what the problem is yeah. you know, and with greater specificity. But yes, external uh, factors will have an effect on the nervous system over time. And is there sort of a, a type of exercise that might be too much for the body? Because we also then, you know, humans, we take everything to the extreme. Yeah, it's another good question because basically what happens is, is if a part of the brain doesn't get uh, activated regularly, um, the cells of the brain and the nervous system start to become less healthy. So if you overwork it too much, uh, then, then yeah, you can damage things. So kind of the consensus view of neurologists now is that if you don't know, just go slow, mm-hmm. you know, and build yourself up, okay? If you want to get healthy, the best way isn't to try to run a marathon tomorrow, mm-hmm. okay? It's to walk, mm-hmm. and then to walk and, and to jog, yeah. and go interval, walking and jogging. That's great for everyone. Um, so, you know, you want to go slowly up things, but you have to do it with, with whatever is within your capacity. If you're not ready to jog, don't jog, just walk. Um, if there's a problem, try to sort it out. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's um, you, you do have to be a little bit careful not to um, not to over yeah. to overextend yourself. And also, there's problems like we were saying um, before. Environmental factors can cause buildup of issues. You know, you can have toxins that are building up in the body as well. So being able to eliminate all of that and finding a, a, a means to eliminate toxins is, is a very, very key issue. Well, what about stress? Because obviously stress is something that we deal with a lot. And uh, me, myself, I deal with have quite a lot of stress levels from time to time. And, you know, just last week I was feeling a bit overwhelmed at work. I was had a lot of pressure. And um, I actually saw Matt, your colleague here yep. at Sonia, and he just really, really helped me. And he... Did the same thing was looking at my eyes and you exactly. could tell that sort of one part of my brain one side of my brain was just really overtired right and he helped me with some joint manipulation and right but even just sort of recognizing like okay i need to just chill out <laughs> take a break it sort of allowed my body to just breathe and say okay but it just made me realize how much stress as well can interrupt this system create havoc yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's very, very true. Now, stress—it's—it's—it's. It's, it's, uh, you could look at it in one sense, like we were saying, other environmental stresses. Um, there's always going to be things that are happening, a lot of things that are happening, and if your body, if your brain, really is capable of managing all of those things, then you don't have as much stress, or you say you're managing your stress. But more often, what's happening is your 
brain becomes less capable of managing lots of different things. Now, obviously, I mean, one thing that I do is I just write everything down and then I don't have it in my head and then I just take things off the list. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. But if your brain is functioning well, you'll be able to manage stress better as mm -hmm. well. So it kind of leads back to the vestibular system again. Mm -hmm. So right next to this vestibular system, where all this information is being integrated, that gives you a sense of where you are in the world. Like we were saying, again, the vision, this vestibular, the semicircular canals that are giving you a sense of where your head is in space, and also the proprioceptors that are giving a sense of where your joints are. All those things are coming together and giving your body a sense of where you are. And that's really important. It's a good starting point. And that's super, super deep and central, very, very uh, midline in your, in your nervous system. So it's very, very old. And right next to that is the autonomic control, which you mentioned before. Now, autonomics are controlled kind of through it, like a, it's like an accelerator on a car. You can kind of speed it up or you can slow it down. And when you're speeding it up, or we call the sympathetic system, the sympathetic system is what we call fight or flight. It's like ready to go. You know, your pupils dilate, you're ready to, to fight or run away. That's kind of an old sense of looking at it. But it could just be managing all this stuff. So all the man managing all this stuff on your deadlines, you're sympathetically driven. Okay? Now the parasympathetic system has the opposite function. It's like taking your foot off the accelerator. So instead of taking the energy from the stores and pushing it out into the muscles and getting your blood pressure up and getting, getting you know, sugars and glucose into your, into your bloodstream and so your brain can work and your body can work. The parasympathetic system is quite the opposite. What it's going to do is going to focus the energy on your gut and absorbing energy. So it's taking the energy from the environment and, and, and giving all that blood flow to your gut so you can digest going to slow down your heart rate, slow down, bring down your blood pressure, slow down your breathing rate, and make your pupils smaller. All these things are going to happen to try to bring the energy back into your body. Okay, So what you're really describing is perhaps, I mean I'm not, not trying to diagnose you, but what I'm saying is that sometimes you'll see there's an imbalance mm -hmm. within those two aspects of the autonomic system where some people are more sympathetically driven. People will say, well, I have an, you know, hyperactive adrenals or something like this, or I have, you know, I'm really, really stressed. And it's because basically your system is driving, 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 and the system that turns and calms the body down isn't working. Now, this goes back to the previous discussion about the different levels of your nervous system and the higher levels of your nervous system. Because we live longer than other animals do, most other animals. Um, we have a, a, a cortex that actually helps preserve the body, okay? So we have very high levels of our brain are involved in calming the system down. So if those higher levels of the brain aren't functioning, it's actually quite hard to calm it down. I'm not saying not functioning at all, but you might have an imbalance mm -hmm. where one side of your brain is functioning well yeah. and the other side <clears> isn't <throat> quite so well. Yeah. It makes it very difficult to, yeah. to bring things down in, in a, in a I think good way. Sort of modern society, we're a sympathetic nervous system generation. Well, it's just true. the hectic pace of life, the amount of things that we cram into one day, and this kind of thing. And in fact, you know, we're here at Sanya at the moment, and this has been one of our missions here, is that we really want to teach people how to consciously bring that parasympathetic nervous system. Absolutely. You know, well, true yoga, true meditation. I, mean, um, I can really take my hat off to you, because I think everything you're doing is, is very much about that. It feels like what the goal is, you know. We have <clears throat> high-quality food. You know, you have all these therapies and things here that are helping people reconnect to their body. You know, you have this pool, this, the, the sauna, and everything here. It's just about, let's just 
bring it down a few notches. And that's what everyone needs more of this in your life, in, in their lives. And meditating, you know, you have your yoga and meditation. It's about everything you're doing is all about what we're talking about here. So, yeah, it's really it's the best thing you can do is just to try to give some attention to that self-preservation. And, and activating those higher levels of the brain is going to have an effect to calm your body down. But also, like I was saying, the parasympathetic has a lot to do with digestion. So a lot of people, if they're just eating rubbish food and they're stressed, it's going to have a very negative effect on the body because, for one, they're not sending enough blood and attention from their nervous system to the gut. Mm -hmm. So what will happen is they become, start becoming sensitive to things and you end up with, you know, well, leaky gut is kind of a big uh, discussion, but... Basically, if your nervous system isn't activating the, the, the digestion, then you're going to have all kinds of other problems as well. It's really interesting, actually. I never thought of it like that, that the parasympathetic, you're actually sort of going within to get nutrients from the gut to put exactly. it back into the cell. So obviously, exactly. if there isn't anything good in there, then that exactly. system is really going to suffer. Exactly. So if you, you can think of it as energy taking from, you can either basically go to the stores take energy out and put it into your bloodstream and into your muscles and get ready to move, that's sympathetic. Anything that's taking from the environment, because we need the environment yeah. to sustain ourselves. We need food. We need interaction. We need movement. We need air. We need air. All of those things are going to feed that parasympathetic nervous system. So there's always this flow in and out. And if we're always pushing out, pushing out, pushing out, then it's the body that suffers. Which is, again, you know, how modern society, we're just stuck in this go, go, go. And we've actually lost the ability to relax. <laughs> it's like something that we should all know mm -hmm. how to do. But at the same time, it's like a muscle, which it is, if true. you don't train it and practice it. And I see myself, I mean, I've been meditating for seven odd years and you can see how easy it is for your body to go into that meditation flow depending on the other factors of right. your life. Exactly. So it's really something that we have to be very mindful of and, and train ourselves to be able to stop. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I often refer to meditation as like uh, when you see your computer or your cell phone isn't working very well and you just go and close a bunch of apps that are just running in the background. It's like suddenly everything else works better. And it's literally like that, you know? It's just like, let's just shut down all the stuff in the periphery. And like I said, with when I have lots of things to do, I just write them all down. Then I don't have to keep it in my head. It's almost like a meditation, writing the things down. And then when I tick them off, I feel really good. It's like little rewards. Sometimes it's just like, you know, have a shower, brush your teeth, you know? <laughs> Whatever. You write it down. You don't have to think about it because it's there. And you tick it off and you feel good. I mean, a friend and, of mine always joke about having to write having a shower on your to-do list <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's like you're in trouble when you have to write <laughs> exactly shower on your to-do list <laughs> it's very true but you know these are these simple tools and mechanisms of dealing with uh, with which life which we need in yeah this, in this time. we need it I mean, something that I find very very powerful and maybe you can speak more of the science behind this is the pranayama mm -hmm. so the yogic breath exercises so the breathing in holding up the breath, breathing out. Yeah, exactly. Well, what it's doing is there's several things that are happening physiologically, you know, with changes in pH and changes in oxygen concentration. And, um, but uh, I think probably more than anything, what you're doing um, is you're reconnecting with a balance. You can't breathe in more than you breathe out. So you're connecting to some balance. It's something that's absolutely essential. You know, life starts when you 
really when you first start breathing. You know, you're dependent on your mum until you're born, and then you got to start breathing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, breath is absolutely essential. Yeah. In fact, uh, in yoga, they say there's the two energy channels going down up this one. There's actually three, but there's the Ida and Pingala, which are the sun and the moon energy, the introversion and the extroversion. Right. Probably you could say also sympathetic, parasympathetic. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So the the breath, inhaling and exhaling from each nostril, for yeah. example, is really balancing those two drives within our... It is. Well, I mean, we could go into several interesting discussions about it. I think probably one of the most interesting ones is that the sense of smell. uh, I would say that pranayama would probably be very interesting with some type of scent in the room because your olfactory nerve that gives you the sense is one of the, reaches one of the highest levels of the cortex in the brain. So the sense of smell is, is very, very powerful for activating the very, very top of the tree, if you will. So uh, if you're breathing on one side, breathing through one nostril, that goes specifically to one side of your brain. When you're breathing through the other nostril, it goes to the other side of the brain. So it could be argued that it's probably creating some kind of cyclic flow between the two sides, two hemispheres of the brain. So... um, yeah, I think it's quite it's an like interesting thing. It's like massaging your yeah. inner brain. <laughs> It'd be an interesting sort of uh, thing to write about and theorize. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a very interesting thought. But uh, yeah, yeah, breath is absolutely essential. Uh, one of the biggest uh, things that I do for patients is just help them breathe. Um, something that's very, very common is that people's ribs will be stuck. Now, your ribs contain your uh, heart, obviously, but also your lungs. So in order for you to be able to get a deep breath of air. We know we need, need to contract the diaphragm, but at the same time, there's muscles that allow your ribs to move. If your ribs don't move, there's like no space for the lungs to inflate. So uh, it's absolutely essential that you have good rib mechanics. And this is a problem on so many people. People that have low back pain, what happens is the muscles of the spine become very tight, and that inhibits or, or sort of affects the ability of the ribs to expand. If these muscles are pulling down on the ribs and keeping them down and they can't come up and get a deep breath in okay so um you know a lot of times people will come in and they have a headache and we adjust their ribs and they're like oh my headache's gone (laughs) well you have oxygen oxygen and glucose are the two fuels of the nervous system if you starve the body of one it's like a car you know you stop air getting into the car into the engine it can't burn the fuel so it's exactly the same with us glucose is the fuel okay or 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 blood sugar is fuel and um and oxygen is is important yeah. for combustion. So, yeah. I think one last theme that I'd like to explore. It's like blowing on a fire. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you want the fire to burn hot, breathe. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, you made me as you were talking about that about the lungs and whatnot. Uh, something that I've seen in my sort of past of doing also a lot of emotional release work is that a lot of people don't breathe deeply because of trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's something again in modern life we're not really taught how to process negative emotions and things Mm -hmm. that stress us out Mm -hmm. so again going back to sort of okay your neurological system can help you deal with stress but then also sometimes emotional stress we need the wisdom and the tools to to release them absolutely because otherwise they're going to end up impinging on our neurological system and creating further damage absolutely I mean the two are inextricable inextricably I said that properly (laughs) linked okay there's always some kind of aspect of some emotional uh, 
issue in any in, in everything. Mm-hmm. They might be able to fix some mani- like the physical things that I'm fixing in chiropractic are really just the physical manifestations of things. So really, what we're doing is giving people the, a greater potential to have that consciousness and awareness, and hopefully go deeper. So I'm not saying that what we do is everything, but it's a good start because it's kind of giving a boost to the nervous system so that. Again, you, you have a clearer vision, okay? But absolutely, it's essential. I mean, this is why I meditate. You know, I was given meditation and neurology the same month in my life. And it's like I had these two tools that allowed me to kind of figure stuff out. <laughs> Everybody's got stuff, but you got to be able to have the potential to see it and to be able to have the, com- the confidence and, the, um, and the, the sort of be brave enough to go deep. So, yeah, absolutely you know, dealing with the emotional things. And there's lots of different ways of looking at it, but yeah. it's very much part of the, mm-hmm. of the whole uh, issue. I mean, Ken, going back to the work of Ken Wilber, he has the, the four quadrant model, right. yeah. where he says, you know, in the West, especially, we're very good at looking at the exterior mm-hmm. of anything, so the physical body, but we're not so good at looking at the interior. Right. And it's understandable because, you know, the exterior can be measured, it can be touched, mm-hmm. you can map it out, whereas the interior... It's kind of all dependent on you as right. the map maker of this interior, of right. really how to understand it. You need to interpret it for yourself. Exactly. So it's understandable that especially within the medical world, it's easier to deal with the physical exterior than the interior. Right. But it's nice to see that with time, there's becoming more openness to the interior. Right. And again, going back to Sanya, we're all about sort of Very the much. exterior, but in collaboration with the interior. Exactly. exactly. And again, we, we need more of these tools that, that can help us. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, well, you touched on some interesting um, uh, insights there as well. The, the um, how can I say it? The, the things that we were just talking about, about the way that we view the, the nervous system and the way we view health and creating more potentials, you can look at that analogously. There's lots of things I was saying. There's how you're perceiving things, how you're integrating things, and how you're expressing. Okay? That all of the things that we talked about are actually analogous to the whole, wholeness of, in life. So... Uh, like I was saying with healing as well, healing is always about creating a reconnection. So reconnecting to what your body is feeling, reconnecting to what you're seeing, reconnecting to yourself, to other people, to nature. All of these things are all aspects of healing. So they don't just stop with within the nervous system or within the body. Healing is always going to be about connecting. Okay? So yes, what we do in our in, 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 in my profession is to deal with the, the capacity and the probability of being able to connect with your body physically, okay? And sometimes that's enough to help people become aware enough that they can delve into and see some aspect of themselves and, and reconnect with themselves. If, they can, if you can connect with yourself at some deep level, and I think meditation and yoga are really wonderful tools for this, um, and you're feeding your body good nutritious food, you're going to feel good, you know, and, and you'll feel more comfortable to dig deep and to, and to discover these beautiful things about ourselves. You know, sometimes people think about healing as kind of churning up all this old stuff and, and it's like going back through the pain. I don't think it has to be that way. I think all you have to do is just go, wow, I'm amazing, you know, 
wow, you're amazing, okay? Uh, wow, isn't nature amazing? That reconnection is love, you know? The more you can see what's amazing about yourself, uh, the more you love, the more you heal, okay? The more you can connect with other people, you feel love, you, you feel fantastic, you know? You're on top of the world, okay? The more you reconnect with nature, the more you feel good. I mean, all these things are essential. Uh, it's not my job to do that. It's, it's each of our jobs. You know, this is, if we want to live a, 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 a healthy, whole life, you know, full of all the potentials of what we're here to experience, then we need to do that, you know? And I think that absolutely what you're doing is, is fantastic. It's very much on the right track of what people need. And you're sort of a, a beacon saying, look, here, I've got food. Here, I've got <laughs> yoga. I've got meditation. I have everything you need to stimulate these higher parts of your nervous system so that you can be healthy, okay? We're creating a safe, comfortable space where you can feel love, okay? You feel love with all the people. Everyone says, hi, how are you doing? You know, every time I come in, like, it's so friendly. And it's like, I love this place. <laughs> the more, you know, I don't want to sound too airy-fairy, but that's, the, that's what life's about, you know? When you love, or you, know, you can call it love, you can call it connecting, but that's the basis of it. And the more you feel that through the more different varieties of life, then, then the healthier you'll be. So a friend of mine said something really beautiful many years ago, and I think it's so nice. He said, life is about connecting to song. And song is an acronym. Song is connecting to yourself, to others, to nature, and to God. And God in the sense, not a religious God, but God in the sense that there's something, some consciousness bigger than us. If you can just accept that that might be a possibility and you can kind of connect to that at some level, then you've got it. <laughs> but I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, it is. It's actually me and Simon has been on the podcast yeah. already we, and, and Dara, we always talk about this yeah. song because it's yeah. true. It's just everything is in there. And as you said so beautifully, you know, the physical connection to the self is the starting point because how can you feel connected to nature when you're not feeling your own feelings? Right. And in fact, it happens sometimes that you're in front of the most beautiful sunset and yeah. you're feeling nothing. Yeah. And you can't even... That beauty just can't pierce yourself. Yeah, you exactly. know it's because there's something within yourself that is unintegrated. Right. And you need to find that harmony within. And then, exactly. the OMG, <laughs> so, I'm going to fall into harmony. So what happens in that environment, in, in that situation, if you just say it, you know, I want to see the sunset, and you say, "I'm going to do some yoga. I'm going to do some breathing." And you try, and then you open your eyes again, and you look, and you're going to see that in a very different way, aren't you? You know. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think it's absolutely essential that connection to the body. Another thing that I, like I said, I've been doing yoga for the same amount of time that I've been doing meditation and neurology. So I like got all the tools at once, and I thought, "Wow, this is fantastic." Um, but moving the body, especially to music, I think is really, really good as well. Just explore your body, explore that movement and see where there's restrictions and just comfortably sort of stretch through them and you resolve it. You reconnect to that part of your body and you can get through it. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to talk to you to tell you, you know, I'm a great doctor and everyone needs to come and see me. I'm here to tell you, look, this is how things work. I don't, it doesn't matter to me where people go. I mean, I'm happy to see people, but there's lots of other people that have skills as good as mine, or and, and even more, but the the idea is there's lots of things you can do, lots of ways of finding healing, 
Um, but it has to start with the self. And sometimes, yeah, someone like myself or Matt or Kristen are, are, are really great at finding where um, ways that we can create more potential to feel things. But at the same time, you can do that yourself. You can do that with meditation, with breathing, with yoga, um, with just put some music on and boogie, you know? <laughs> it's, it's like, it really can be as simple yeah. as that. Yeah. It really can be as simple as that. Um, but, you know, just being dedicated to having that connection to yourself. To want to feel more alive at the end of exactly. the day. In fact, our Gross Yopa mission started like that. Like, we want to give healthy hotel food to help people feel more alive and engaged with their lives. Exactly. And essentially, you know, we're here alive. Why not feel that to exactly. the max that we can? Exactly, exactly. And I think what you're doing is great. The, I think the best nutritional advice I ever got I just love this quote. I had this nutrition teacher who happened to be particularly enormous, but it was a very, very good piece of information. She said, all you need to think about with health, with food is eat the highest quality food you can, you can and eat a variety of food. A variety. Variety and high quality. That's all I need to think about. Uh, and I thought, yeah, you know. Um, once you start limiting your variety... You create problems. Mm. Once you once you start accepting low quality food, you have problems. But if you're eating high quality and a variety of foods, then you know you have then you've got it covered. And how beautiful with all this uh, overload of nutritional information to yeah. just bring it down. To those <laughs> Something <two>. simple. <laughs> <laughs> you can look at what's on the menu. You can say, okay, what's the highest quality food I can handle right now? Sometimes, yeah. you know, my family we're traveling and we say, God, we just can't find any food. Well. I have to say to my wife, look, let's just <laughs> choose the best quality we can get, get out of these now. choices. Yeah. And that's all you can do. Yeah. And if that's, if that's within a variety where, you know, you're going to yeah. sort of cycle back to something else that's yeah. more nutritious than the next meal, that's fine. Your body can handle that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just when it's the same over and over. Yeah. That's yeah. Finish, yeah, so. Fantastic. Ross, beautiful. Really beautiful. Usually at the end of each interview, I ask people, but you just answered the question that I usually ask. Which is? Because I usually ask people, what, um, how do you feel you can live a nourished life? So what are the elements of live, living a nourished life? Um, I think it's about creating routines in your life that nourish you. So, um, for instance, every day I meditate. It's absolutely essential. Absolutely essential. I will, if I have a choice of meditating or eating, I will meditate. <laughs> I'll skip food, but I won't skip my meditation. And I know that, um, you know, I've been doing it for 23 years. If I miss my meditation, I don't feel quite as sharp as I do when I have it. I feel um, my brain works a lot better. And it's literally, it's just shutting down apps. I mean, why would you want to start your day with all this stuff on your plate? When you meditate, you clear all that stuff out and you just have super sharp vision. Your brain is working the way that it should. So in my routine, I always have meditation. I always have some part of the day that I devote to feeling my body. You know, I usually do some exercises as soon as I wake up and I do exercises before I go to bed because it's the easiest time, you know. And it feels good to start the day by moving your body. And it feels great to lay down in bed once your body's kind of moved a little bit and everything feels, feels nice. So, you know, those are two things. And I, I think really everything we've touched on, I try to do every day. I try to eat good food, try to have a positive attitude, try to be grateful for things. And I think about every aspect of my 
connection with people as is this a love experience or is this not a love experience if it's not a love experience you just move away from it and say <laughs> no thank you and you move on um, you know, another kind of background thought that I always try to keep in my head is what would love do you know so you know I have two kids you know they have challenges they're growing they're learning they're learning how to think and control their emotions and connect with people and you know in those situations I have to ask as a parent what would love do you know and I always have the answer you know it's an it's a simple question but it's pretty easy to figure out what love would do in pretty much any situation so I think kind of keeping things simple but at the same time understanding that life itself is kind of layers of we could call it complexity but it's kind of a beautiful layering and just being able to touch on every aspect of what we are as human beings and what we are as a society and how we can serve ourselves with quality food and quality environment and nurturing our, 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 our bodies and our minds and doing it in a, in a kind of rhythmic, cyclic, um, routine way. Routine is kind of a not-so-nice way of sounding, but it's like something that you're doing and you're dedicated to yeah. every day. I think it's important to touch on these things every day because once you start letting go of all of these things that, that bring quality to our lives, then it's quite easy to forget them. So I think just simple routines, maybe a little bit of breathing, you know, start, say, say I'm going to sit down, I'm going to have five minutes or 20 minutes of meditation, I'm going to breathe, I'm going to focus on my mantra, I'm going to relax, and I'm going to start the day. When I have things I need to do, I'm going to write them down, and I'll tick them off when I get to them. You know, try to create routines that make life easy and enjoyable. And at the end of the day, I love to just lay in bed and think, wow, that was a great day and be grateful for all the stuff that uh, that I experience so <clears throat> I think a lot of us think in terms of you know our long-term goals and it's quite easy to kind of get lost in a day because you're looking at something where you are not so having simple things that you can take off every day I think is a really really key component as long as you and you can ask yourself um, like in terms of I'm sort of going off, I never want to finish here, but I just another sort of interesting thought is that, you know, we all have uh, long-term goals, where we want to be in the long term. But you have to make that something that's happening right now as well. So say, I want to have whatever, this career, I want to be in this position. Sometimes it's helpful to, to kind of reduce it down to what is it that that, that uh, goal is about what do, what do you want to feel you know like say for instance I remember a number of years ago I wanted to get a sailboat I thought I want to go sailing I want a sailboat because I feel good when I sail and what I realized was I didn't actually want the sailboat what I wanted was the experience of sailing and then I started looking into it and I thought well what is it about sailing that I like sailing is me uh, being in nature I love the movement of the sea the up and down I love the smell of the sea I love being with friends in a social environment, connecting to, you have the power of nature, this wind is literally driving the boat forward and you're going somewhere, but then you're not, you're just relaxing. <laughs> and it's like all of these things, like connecting to nature, you know, feeling these deep feelings in, in, in my body and going through the waves and things and connecting with friends. I thought, actually, those are the things that I want. It's not just the sailing. And when I started essentializing what these long-term goals were and breaking them down into experiences rather than stuff 
I'd say, well, these are actually the experiences I want. So why don't I focus on that? And um, it was interesting because I had that thought. And then a friend of mine called me literally within a week and said, hey, I bought a sailboat. <laughs> and I said, I didn't know you sailed. He said, I don't. You're going to teach me. We went out 83 times in one year <laughs> sailing. So I had loads of sailing. <laughs> but what was interesting was other aspects of my life started manifesting those same emotions. Okay. So I think being able to essentialize uh, long-term goals into experiences and look at each of those experiences and try to bring them into your sort of daily checklist and look at ways that you can experience that now, um, I think is a really, really good health advice because you're not just going to, uh, you're not going to feel like you're not getting something. You're going to be getting something and every day is a step and you're experiencing what you want to experience. So the whole stress level thing of like feeling like I want to be here, but I'm not there right now. Um, is radically turned upside down. It just dissolves away because suddenly you are where you want to be. And it's actually a lot easier than you thought. It's just manifesting through a different form at the moment than it will be in the future. But I think that also kind of unlocks your ability to go into uh, into that future more easily because you're already feeling that you're there. Yeah. You know? So, sorry, that was a little diversion, no, but I think it's kind of... definitely worth diversion okay. for us. <laughs> anyway. Reminds me of uh, Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah. He talks a lot about this, this tension between where we are and where we want to go. Yeah. And you, you said it beautifully, you know, we need to actually break it down and just see that we can have a lot of the experiences because... Most of the time we focus on material things right. as like the boat is going to get me this right. sense of connection and happiness. Right. But really often it's not. And very <laughs> yeah. often we spend all this money on the boat and right. then it ends up actually not giving us even what we wanted in the first place. Exactly. And then even you can say, well, once I know these, these are the experiences I want, it becomes clear of all the possible things that could give you that experience. You know, Maybe it's just a matter of saying rather than saving up for five or ten years to buy this boat, uh, I can say, well, look, I can afford to rent a boat. Or even I get some of my friends, we'll all chip in and we'll rent a boat. Then we can do it this weekend. Fantastic. (laughs) So there's lots of ways. uh, Once you have that clear, life becomes much easier. Fantastic. Russ, thank you so much for your time. A really interesting podcast. I think we covered some really fascinating topics. Super. And actually, yeah, we could have had a whole podcast on just a couple of like... Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure you'll be back one day. Super. So thank you very much. Thank you to everyone for listening. As always, we really love your feedback, your comments. And you can also get in touch with Dr. Russ through us. And we have two of Russ's colleagues. I'm very grateful, actually, Russ introduced us to here at Sanya. For those of you that don't know Sanya, because this is actually the Grassy Hopper podcast... Um, Sanya is a new uh, eco-spa and holistic centre that uh, we've opened myself together with my sister here in Nashar and as we touched on in the podcast um, our mission is to really help people to deeper levels of happiness through the different aspects of our spa Um, as Ross said we have the yoga we've got an organic juice spa we're opening a natural clinic here next month the spa, the detox it's all here to give you that parasympathetic (laughs) absolutely (laughs) (laughs) so amazing thank you all for listening and we'll see you again soon thanks again Ross my my pleasure
holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. My friends still rave about the Prosecco I brought last year. Let me help make your Friendsgiving unforgettable. Bordeaux is one of the world's most popular red blends, made from Cabernet, Cab Franc, and Merlot. It also makes the perfect gift for your picky boss. Having turkey and all the fixings? I suggest an easy-drinking Pinot Noir. For white drinkers, try an unoaked Chardonnay. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you this holiday. Now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers!